So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. Today, we have an amazing podcast because a lot of people we hear are trying to figure out how to get started in their first deal, where to get the money, how to raise capital to buy cash flowing assets, how to manage money. And this was a subject that not only gets repeated so much, it's one that I wanted to bring on Josh here for. We're going to bring him in in a second, but I got to tell you, out of raising money, doing deals, you know, this is the guy. So this is what you need to li- This is the podcast for you to hear how he goes about finding capital, putting deals. He's he's done everything from money management to raising funds, buying apartments, debt in real estate. So this is just going to be an awesome podcast. And with that, Josh, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I love to share my story with new audiences and new people. I'm excited to talk about private money and cash flow uh, with your audience. So thanks for having me on. Yes. Now you have a long history in money management, which I think is really interesting. So why don't we get started right out of there? Where did you get your start? So yeah, AJ, I mean, I've been around money a long time. To make it a long story short, my father was an entrepreneur. My father was in the financial services world. So I watched, I was very fortunate to have an entrepreneurial father that I could watch build a business but he was in the financial services side. He was on the benefits side. So he did health insurance, life insurance, disability insurance. All hey, me too. There you go. <laughs> so I, got, I watched him. I did internships for my father. But right after college, I actually got an offer to join a financial services company. It's one of the top 10 internships in the country, according to Forbes magazine. And I fell in love with the securities world. The, the So Right out of college, I got my health and insurance license, my Series 6, 63, 66. And I thought, you know, as a 21, 22-year-old, I could help people do their retirement planning as a broke 22-year-old. But I got really good at it. I was really hungry. I was really good at sales. So I very quickly, within the first couple of years, uh, was managing almost $30 million of investors' money in the stock markets, mutual funds, IRAs, life insurance. And I noticed, AJ, very quickly that these people did not have all their money in the stock market. My most successful clients owned real estate. And so that's really what started me on this journey was I got a very good background on what do the financial advisors offer? What does the average American invest in in their 401k, their mutual funds? And I got to see parallel at the same time how successful people were investing in cash flow, investing in real estate, investing in apartments, investing in rental properties. So I got to see both of those parallel side by side for a couple of years. And then I'm like, you know what? This is crazy. All the money's in real estate. I'm just going to jump in full force. And I did that in 2004. I was making over 150 grand as a 25 year old financial advisor, quit cold turkey to jump into real estate. And that's where my kind of money management experience comes from. And so when you say you jumped in to real estate, which first of all, hold on, there's a few few things that I just love about the story. First of all, you know, I got my start in insurance. So I was health and welfare. I was a broker consultant for group medical benefits. That's where my father started. So, um, you know, that's where, where we got our start. And we moved over into real estate for probably a lot of the reasons that you're mentioning here. But it's an interesting trend to me that so many of these people that are in money management end up making that leap and making that move. And this is a story that I hear all the time, right? And it's a story that I saw because when when I was dealing with our clients, you know, I saw so much where their uh, assets were, the revenue was coming from and trying to help them mitigate risk. And, you know, we moved over into more of this passive income producing side. But when you first got your start, you moved over, uh, you didn't go into buying and holding into real estate. You moved into, was it, it, remind me again, wholesaling? Yeah. So in 2004, I just was convinced I wanted to be in real estate. So I went to a couple of events and boot camps and I remember being at an event learning about foreclosures and pre-foreclosures. And I thought, you know, that sounds interesting to me. I kind of like that idea. And when we started doing our direct mail, to really kind of get going, we noticed that most of the leads that we got were people that would call us and say, yeah, I want to sell my house. My house is, uh, is, is worth about 150 and I owe 148. 
<laughs> or my house is worth 150 and I owe 162. They owed more than what the house was worth. Or I want to sell my house, you know, house is worth 250 and I owe 235. Uh, or I'm in foreclosure, my house is worth 225 and I owe 300. So what happened in Cleveland, AJ, was that this whole foreclosure crisis that started in 2006 and all these properties starting to have adjustable rate mortgages, that started in Cleveland much earlier because in, in the early 2000s, Cleveland, the greater Cleveland market had 10 publicly traded companies that either left town or went out of business or filed for bankruptcy. So there were lots of people that all of a sudden had houses that were over leveraged or that were in foreclosure. So I got really good at dealing with people that were pre-foreclosures and short sale candidates. So when the whole foreclosure crisis happened in 2008, 9, and 10, we were already three or four years ahead of the market. So we had already done three, 400 short sales in the Cleveland area. We started a software company. We started doing live events. We started training people all over the country about pre-foreclosures and short sales. Matter of fact, I was the keynote speaker for the Homevestors, uh, their, their annual franchise convention in 2007 because we already had several years of experience with short sales. And so I got very transactional because I needed the money. I gave up all that income from financial advising. So I got into the wholesaling because I yep. had to. I yep. needed the money. Yeah, I wanted to learn about this business. So that's where it all started. You know, that's just, that's fascinating. And because it's fascinating to me because of, I had no idea, first of all, Cleveland was going through this, particularly two, three years right ahead of the rest of the country. Yeah, no doubt. And then when that happened in 07 and things started to speed up, I mean, what happened in Cleveland? Well, what's interesting about it is, you know, all the foreclosures started happening earlier, but then... We thought, oh my God, Cleveland's going to be the epicenter of the foreclosure crisis. And it was really bad. But Cleveland didn't lose value the way California, Arizona, Nevada, New York, and, and, and you know, Detroit, Michigan, and Florida lost value. So all these investors that were really excited about, oh my God, these properties are all going to be on sale, 30% off, 50% off. They were. And we were a leading educator in that space for a long, long, long time. I mean, we had huge live events and software, all that kind of stuff. And we processed about four or 500 short sales uh, at that time, which is interesting because now what's going on with our economy, with this whole coronavirus issue and all this massive unemployment that we've seen recently, there's hopefully going to be a U-shaped curve. Hopefully things begin once things unthaw, people can get back to work pretty quickly. You know, I've been talking to my audience and other audiences, AJ, the interesting thing is if you look at the analysis of 2006, 7, 8, 9, what started in 2006 with the adjustable rate mortgages didn't really totally cure itself until 2016. That's when our economy really started to take off. I don't care if you're left, right, you're like you're Democrat, Republican, but when Trump got rid of all the regulation and he started promoting pro-USA, that's when unemployment rates went way down and the economy took off. It was 2016. Nobody can doubt that. doesn't care if you're right, left, blue or red. doesn't matter. So what started in 2006 really didn't fully cure itself till 2016. So it's a 10-year process. This, this curve that we're in now is going to be that same thing, but all condensed down. Because what's going to happen is business is going to open up very quickly. In 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, the problem was liquidity. The problem was the banking crisis. We're going to have some similar liquidity issues, but... The Fed and the government have already stepped in in the last month and done more than they did in two years in 2008. So we expect this to hockey shape back. Now, what that's going to mean for investors in the next couple months here, a couple years, is that the investors that have access to private money, the true private money, I'm not talking about institutional private money, hard money. I'm not talking about bridge loans because there's a lot of institutional lenders that are branding themselves as private lenders. What I'm talking about is a direct relationship with the money, a direct relationship with the money. Because if you have a direct relationship, you can pay cash for assets, single family rentals, apartment buildings, things like that. And I can certainly talk to your audience and teach them some of those things. That's why we are strategically positioned. I've been waiting, honestly, 10 years for the next 10 months. I've been waiting and stockpiling cash to be able to go buy these assets are going to be on sale and they're going to hockey stick back. 
the values are going to hockey stick back. It's not going to be a 10 year recovery. It's going to be about a, an 18 month to 24 month recovery. And then these values are going to go way back up. So there's going to be a short buying window for the next three months to 18 months. And then things are really going to come back really strongly. That's my opinion of what's going to happen. And where did you, so when did you start going through a process and, and learning how to raise funds? Like, did is yeah. this new? Have you been doing this for a while or have you been raising capital and real estate for a while now? Well, I think, you know, your audience needs to understand some context. As of right now, as of today, as this recording, I managed $39 million of private money and it's all true private money. It's mom and pops, accredited and non-accredited investors, none of it's institutional at all, $39 million. About half of it is in a private equity fund where we do our own private money lending and hard money lending. So we recruited the capital and I use the money for my own deals, plus I lend some of it out to other people. And we've got about half of that money is in apartments and cash flowing rental properties. So we've been very successful at it. Matter of fact, this whole virus issue We've been able to position ourselves to even get more capital because people are fleeing the stock market and the volatility to jump into real estate and jump into fixed assets. But um, I got my first private lender, AJ, in it was my brother's mother-in-law. I got very first private lender loan in June of 2004. It was $60,000. I paid her 18% interest, $60,000 from her self-directed IRA. She was recently divorced. She inherited in, in the divorce part of an old retirement account. And she was at the gym. This is how things, this is how these relationships are built. She was at the gym. Obviously, I knew her. She was kind of like family. She's working out, kind of getting back in the dating pool. She's on the treadmill. And I'm at the treadmill, like next to her, we're chit-chatting about life and her divorce and this and that. And she says, you know, I'm, I'm gonna have some money for my divorce. You know, you were a former financial advisor, Josh. What should I do with it? And I'm thinking, ding ding ding, like. Uh, what I'm doing is building a real estate business. I could use that money to buy real estate. You would basically be my bank and I'll pay you 18% return on your money that you have available. She's like, oh my God, yeah, I'm in. Obviously, we already had a relationship. So we already knew each other. So that was the first money that I recruited, but I was still wholesaling in 2004, five, six, all the way through 2011. 2011, my whole world, and this is one of the lessons that I want to give back to your audience. Many of us are doing things in our lives that we enjoy, but we're not really passionate for. We're doing it because it just pays the bills. Even if you have a huge income, you're maybe doing something because it's paying you an income, but it's not really why you were put on this earth. And what I realized on September 12th, 2011, I came home from work. I was wholesaling lots of properties and working through the foreclosure crisis. I was playing with my two little girls. I laid on the ground. I looked up at the ceiling and I felt this huge lump on the left side of my stomach. And it turned out to be a very advanced pancreatic cancer. And I quickly over the next couple months ended up going through tons of treatments, ended up going in for surgery and had a basketball sized tumor cancer removed from my stomach. They took out my gallbladder, my spleen, most of my pancreas. They took all of my stomach, a big chunk of my liver, had to rebuild the arteries in the back of my liver. And so I woke up to a whole new reality that I wasn't going to go back to wholesaling properties and being this transactional investor. Because when I was in the hospital, going through this nine months of kind of treatment and recovery, I guess how much money I made? Not very much, right? So coming out of this, I thought, you know, what am I going to do differently? And I realized about two weeks before my surgery, AJ, I bought a property using private money. I hired a contractor who did a lot of the work and rehabbed the property for me. It was actually my brother, did a lot of the work. And I was able to see the work through video. I was able to, to see the progress through pictures. I was able to release the rehab funds as we went. And I was able to get this property renovated, rehab, and split some of the profits with my brother. And I thought, why was that able to, why was I able to, able to close this check and make a $40,000 profit check, split the profits with my brother? Why were we able to do that? And I thought to myself, you know, funding equaled 
the freedom that I had to be able to run this business, buy the property, distribute the rehab funds, work with the contractor, subcontractors and my brother to get the property renovated and make a big profit check. Thought, why don't I just do that? I have this experience in financial advising. Why don't I just focus on the money and focus on buying assets that will give me cash and cash flow? And that will give me the freedom to be able to, to separate my time from the dollars I was making. Because I was able to create dollars, returns, income, without actually having to be at the property, without actually having to do any work, without having to invest my time. And so in 2012 is when this whole thing really took off. I got all my securities exemptions. I hired a securities attorney. I studied private money. And I got really good at my psychology of raising private money. What's going on in private lenders' heads? What are they thinking about when they invest with someone like me instead of a financial advisor? Invest in real estate instead of the stock market. So it really took off when I mentally committed and said, I'm not going to be this transaction engineer anymore. I'm not going to wholesale properties anymore. I'm not going to even bother with a lot of rehabs anymore. I still did a bunch of rehabs, but I thought, I want to use the money to own assets, own cash flow. And the way you do it is by owning the relationship with the private money. That's where it comes from. So I think everybody that listens to this podcast, I mean, obviously, so many of my listeners are probably seeing all the similarities between me and you. Insurance, yeah. you know, you ended up in the hospital for nine months. I became paralyzed and was in the hospital. And then, uh, you know, we both had to come back and get better. And it was through the realization of separating time from money and cash flow creates financial freedom. And it's like, this is, you know, this is what we're talking about here, right? I mean, this is about getting out of that transactional base where I don't care if it's you doing wholesale properties or doing sales, having a W-2 or a 1099 contract. It's all transactional base that is based around your time and money. And it's, you got to get rid of that separation. And for most people, they don't understand that first step. Like, okay, I'd love to go invest. I'd love to do all these things, but I don't know how I don't know the capital. And what you're talking about, this is the first step. This is getting the money, building the relationships to start an engine that can run without you. Um, this is just absolutely so awesome. It's like you're, uh, my Cleveland counterpart here. We're preaching the same thing, man. It's awesome. (laughs) And AJ, look, it comes down to really understanding the securities laws is really where it started. Because when I I was, I got a lot of misinformation about what is a security is real estate a security Are notes and mortgages a security. And it starts with that. So I think one thing you got to clear out, you got to spend like, you know, just 10 seconds on is understanding that in the Securities Act of 1933, it was very, very specific that said that any note, any evidence of indebtedness, any investment contract, any profit-sharing agreement, anything like that, where if you have an operator, let's say I'm the operator, I'm buying the real estate, and somebody gives me money, it could be equity, it could be debt, could be a profit-sharing agreement, an investment contract, could be you know, some other evidence of indebtedness or some other evidence of a JV agreement. If I'm the investor, the operator, and someone is giving me the private money and their return is 100% based on my performance, my ability to turn a profit and pay them their interest, that is a security. There's no question about it. No doubt about it. You can read it in the Securities Act of 1933. It's section 2A1. And I can show it to everybody that wants to see it. Now, what does that mean? Well, back when I was a new investor, I thought like, I heard people say, raise private money. It's not a security. I'm I'm just totally calling BS on that because it's 80 years old. This is not new. The only time a note is not a security is when it's purely commercial in nature meaning it's a bank lending to a borrower. That is what's known as commercial in nature. The bank is lending. The bank is responsible for all their regulations because they're in the banking industry and they're lending money out to people for businesses or for equipment or for real estate. That is commercial in nature. That's That's not a security. 
but anything else, including any real estate investment is a security. So now we can use the securities laws to our advantage and we can tell people, look, you can invest in my deals, you can invest in my, my, my properties, but the Securities and Exchange Commission requires that I have an existing relationship with you, that we, we use what's called a securities exemption. 506B is the most common securities exemption. And the Securities Exchange Commi Commission requires that I have a relationship with you and then I can recruit capital. So before we talk about my real estate deals, before we talk about how I can pay you a return, how much you can invest or return that you're going to get, I have to build a relationship with you. So let me ask you a series of questions, these kind of eight to 10 questions that I always ask. And what it does is by building this relationship, AJ, it, it allows me to get more commitment, more money, because so the slower I go and the deeper relationship I build with these private investors, the more money they invest and the more often they invest. The faster I go, the quicker I go, and the quicker I kind of steamroll over people, the slower they invest and the less money they invest. So by using the Securities Exchange Commission to my advantage, not only am I following the rules and being compliant, but I'm actually able to raise more money, build deeper relationships, I'm able to get more referrals, and I'm able to really recruit, that's this $39 million that we manage, um, is all been through these kind of relationships, referrals, it's just kind of sputtered web like crazy since 2012. So if you understand funding equals freedom, don't be a transaction engineer. You know, there's all these courses out there, like I got into it, become a transaction. Now, there's, there's, there's a time and space for that at the beginning of your real estate career of making income, wholesaling properties, being a transaction engineer. But as fast as you can get out of that, and as fast as you can get into owning assets and recruiting and raising private money, the quicker you get to ultimate freedom. That's really where it's at. Now, you know, I think a lot of people may hear that and start to be a little scared when you're talking securities. And is this something that, you know, anybody can do? Or is this like, oh, geez, no, I, I need to go to school for four years. I mean, you know, yeah. I could see a lot of people immediately starting to get nervous. Like, you're talking about laws, I just can't ask for money. And, you know, what what is what do you what do you say to like, is that something they should be worried about? Is this something like, yeah, you need to head to school? Or what do you think? Yeah. So think about it this way, the Securities Exchange Commission was put together to protect private investors. The Securities Exchange Commission is not dumb. They know that every deal has some risk, that nothing is guaranteed. All they want, and the essence of what they want, is full, fair, and adequate disclosure. They want whoever's taking in the money, let's say me, I'm the operator, I'm buying an apartment, or I'm buying a rehab, or a rental portfolio, whatever. They want me to make full disclosure to whoever's investing with me. They want me to tell them about the risks, that's all. So they want that private investor to receive the financial information so they can make a good decision. They know there's risk. Secondly, they wanna make sure that there's no fraud. And fraud is when I know something and I purposely withhold it and don't tell them, I don't make full disclosure. So all the Securities Exchange Commission is saying is look, you should have a disclosure document, a, a, a cover your ass disclosure document that says, here's the risks of investing with me. And don't just say it, but put it in writing, okay? It's called a private placement memorandum. They've been around since 1933. It's exactly how Uber was started, how Uber got its first in injection of money. Facebook, Google, Lyft, Pinterest, all these companies, the UFC, all these companies were got their first rounds of investment through private placements. Matter of fact, since 2010, AJ, there's been more money raised through private placements, like what I'm talking about, than through IPOs. So for the last 10 years, private placements are more common than what everybody is seeing with IPOs when ding, 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 like the NASDAQ opens and the stock exchange opens and there's a new IPO, everybody hears about that. 
But what's actually more common is someone like you or me, we have a real estate deal. We do the proper, it's just a simple filing and it's actually free, simple filing that's free on the SEC website. We do what's called a securities exemption, very basic 506B exemption. And we give our investor disclosure document. If we do that, we're going to raise so much extra money. We're going to have so much more professionalism. People are going to trust us more that we actually get closer to financial freedom by following the rules. All right. So don't be intimidated by this. Everybody that owns apartment buildings, that does developments, that owns a big rental portfolio, that does a lot of rehabs, they're all, if they're doing it right, they're all doing what I'm describing. So if you're a new investor and you're focused on wholesaling, great. But the quicker you can understand these rules and use them to your advantage, the faster you're going to get to true freedom and not being transactional. But like AJ said, separating your income from your time, that comes by owning assets and being close to the money. That's really what's important here. Is it going to take a little bit of work? Yes. Does it take a little bit of extra understanding? Yes. But this stuff's been around for 80 years. This is not new. And now, is there a difference in how you got to treat investors if they're accredited or non-accredited? And could you speak, explain, I guess, first of all, to the listeners, what is the difference between an accredited investor and a non-accredited investor? Sure. Yeah. Really basic. Again, this goes back all the way to 1933. So this is nothing new. Uh, but an accredited investor is somebody who's got one of three buckets. They fall in one of three buckets. They either have a million dollar net worth, excluding their personal residence. Bucket number two is if they're single, they make $200,000 a year for the last two years with a reasonable expectation to make another $200,000 this year coming up. If they're single or if they're married, $300,000. That's bucket number three. They're married. They make $300,000 a year for the last two years with an expectation to make 300,000 in this coming year. And if they check the box off any one of those three buckets, they are accredited. And what the SEC has said is that we wanna protect both accredited and non-accredited investors, but we're gonna go a little bit extra mile, the extra mile to protect the non-accredited because the non-accredited, they might not have as much sophistication. They might not have the attorneys and the accountants and the financial advisors that the accredited folks have. So we, what we use and what most um, you know, real estate entrepreneurs use is either a 506B exemption, which allows you to recruit money and not have to be a broker dealer, okay? The securities laws say very straightforward, AJ, you have to be a broker dealer to sell securities, you have to be a broker dealer to raise money, or you have to have an exemption you have to have a proper exemption. And that's where I'm referring to the 1933 Securities Act of 1934 is you have this exemption and the exemption says you can raise money, you can sell securities that are these real estate securities and not have to be a broker dealer. You just file this exemption. It's called a 506B or 506C exemption. The 506B is amazing. It's been around for 80 years. It allows you to recruit money from both accredited and non-accredited it allows you to raise money from coast to coast, crisscross state lines. It allows you to raise money, an unlimited amount of money. But it basically says that you can have an unlimited number of accredited and you're allowed to have up to 35 non-accredited investors in that offering. Okay. Now, the only sort of, the only dig or the only rub is that you can only raise money from people that you already have an existing relationship with. People that are friends, family, people that are colleagues, people that you meet at RIA clubs, meetups, people that are other real estate investors, both active and passive real estate investors. So you can do all these amazing things. You can market to them, you can solicit them, but you have to have a relationship with them. And so, AJ, this is no different than if you look at Gary Keller's book about becoming a successful real estate agent. He talks about discovering your sphere, working a farm area. And he talks about building relationships with people that you already know, like, and trust. When I was a financial advisor, the same thing they taught, build your book of business through people that already know, like, and trust you, and then get referrals from there. Most businesses, people talk about, you know, even if they open up a restaurant or a bar, they have like a friends and family night where they, 
friends, family, colleagues, people that they already know, come and try out our food. Come try out our desserts, our spaghetti, our pasta, whatever they're selling. Uber, Facebook, Lyft, all started with people that already had pre-existing relationships with the CEO and the founder. It's so common. It's unbelievable. It's what everybody uses. So that's what I recommend people starting with is because it's been around for 80 years. They can raise an unlimited amount of money, but they start with their colleagues and people that they already know. And I'm going to tell you, AJ, people that say, well, I don't want to solicit people I know. Okay, I get it. I get it. But let me tell you something. If you can't convince a few people that you already know to invest with you, you're never going to convince a stranger. You're never going to convince an accredited investor that's wealthy, that's got money, who owns a business or sold a business and has 10 million bucks or 2 million bucks. You're never going to convince somebody who's brand new to you. Because people ask me, AJ, from time to time, hey, would you put your mother in this? <laughs> would you put your dad in this? And my answer to them is, my mom already invests with me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, it, this is an important thing because I hear this a lot, what you're talking about. People are like, I don't want to solicit people I know. And I, I'm like, uh, and I, I guess I get that from a, one standpoint, but at the same standpoint, everybody it's your first stops, friends and family. And two, also, if what you're doing is working and creating wealth and income, then it's not soliciting. You're giving an opportunity to have an investment and don't view, you're not selling. I, I, I view it as like, listen, hey, you've got this great opportunity for a private placement into a hard asset or into an investment opportunity that's an off-market deal that's where wealth and income is really generated. I mean, no wealth and income is generated through people who know other people and get placed into opportunities. And so mm -hmm. you are simply supplying an opportunity. If they want to, great. If not, that's fine. It may not be. But why are you scared? I just, I, I, I don't understand. In fact, for me, I know I don't do a lot of private placements because my fundraises now are so large that people that come invest with us, they need a lot of money to do so. But I know that if we ever lowered, which we've talked about, if we lowered our amount to come into our funds for these large assets and allowed people to pull together, it would be like, awesome for me to say, Hey, you all now have an opportunity to come in. You don't need 800 grand to come in right yeah. now. We're letting people that have 10 grand come in and people would be so excited to come in to own a $10 million asset or whatnot. So you're presenting an opportunity and you need to look at it like that. Well, AJ, it comes down to this, man. It, like I, there's two things I want to say. My friend, I have a friend, Francis who I've known a long, long time, did a lot of marketing stuff together. He said to me something that I'll never forget. This is over 10 years ago. And I repeat this a lot. He said to me, Josh, if you believe in something so much that's going to it's going to impact someone else's life in a positive way, you have a moral obligation to sell it to them. Think about that mindset. You have a moral obligation to present it to them. If I feel, and again, I come from the financial services world. I don't have any money in the stock market anymore. I, I, have a, I have such a passion for real estate that it's a better way to accumulate wealth. If I have that passion, I have a more obligation to tell other people that they can do better for themselves. They can have bigger returns and bigger tax deductions and lower tax brackets and more wealth. I have a moral obligation to present it to them. It's and a big deal. It is a big deal. You know, and I, when, when we're talking about this, it is one of those things where you, as well as I know the freedom after what we've gone through and what that did for us and our family. And it's funny because like my wife says, she, she says, you know how I know when you don't like somebody, it's when you don't talk to them about investing in money. That's when I yeah. know you don't like them. And right. I thought that was an interesting way to look at it because I always am talking about, Hey, have you heard about what's going on or things like that? But when I'm around people that I like I may never talk to you again or what I'll never bring up anything. I don't talk about any of this stuff. And my wife's like, that's how I know you don't like them because you don't care enough about them. You're not telling them what you're passionate about and you don't want them to do better. You don't want them to improve. And it's true. If I don't care about you, I'm not going to tell you about what's going on and things like that. But if I do, if I like my best friends, things like that, that are going on, I'm calling them, picking them up. Hey, did you see this? Did you see what's happening? You need to know about this. Well, AJ, here's where it comes from too. Is like when I was a financial advisor, one of the first things that they that Gary Keller teaches in his book for realtors, and I learned as a financial advisor, is 
you don't go and meet with somebody and ask for money. You don't, you don't actually go and say, hey, I've got an investment opportunity that I want you to invest. I want to pitch you on it. That's not how you approach it. The way you approach it, and I did this when I was a financial planner, I would meet with people, friends, family, building my book of business. And I would say, look, and this is what I say in real estate. When people ask me what I do, I say, I raise private capital for real estate. We buy distressed assets and distressed apartment buildings and distressed properties. And we pay our investors a fixed double digit rate of return. Okay. So your audience can totally rip that off and use that. But when I now meet with somebody, if I call them a friend of mine and if I was starting over and I was calling up a friend of mine, let's say my friend, Matt, you know, really close friend of mine since college, he's calling Matt up to invest with me. I wouldn't say, Hey Matt, I got an awesome investment opportunity. I got a property that I'm buying and I need to, uh, you know, I, I need to raise $2 million to buy this $10 million apartment deal. I want to pitch you on it. I would never say that. What I would say is, Hey Matt, I'm in real estate. I'm raising capital from private investors. I'm not assuming at all that you're interested, but I did want to show you what I'm up to in case that someone you know, someone that you're connected to in the future is ever asking you like, where do I invest my money? Or do you, you know, I'm interested in real estate. I just want to be the top of mind reference for real estate. So let me just, let's meet for a minute. Let's grab a beer. Let's grab some coffee. Let's grab a soup. And let me just show you and tell you a little bit more about what I do in case you ever meet somebody or know somebody that might be interested in learning more. So I totally remove Matt that I'm pitching Matt at all. Then when I meet with Matt, I just walk him through everything that I do, how I do it, how I find properties, how I structure deals, how I pay private investors, whether it's equity or debt. And at the end, I simply ask Matt, I say, hey, man, just again, I'm not assuming that you're interested in this at all, but do you know anyone who might be interested in learning more about what I do? And what's interesting is like eight, nine times out of 10, he, the guys will raise their hand and say, well, what about me? What, yeah, what about I'm me? interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that I know what you do, what about me? I've got 200 grand in my old 401k. I've got a half a million dollars in my rollover. I just retired. I have a pension. I just got, you know, I have 50,000 extra dollars. What about me? And now I'm, now I'm the knight in shining armor because I didn't pitch them. I didn't sell them hard. I'm not ruining my friendship or relationship. I presented them an opportunity that I presented that, I'm not even assuming that you're interested. And now they're like, dude, I'm interested. Holy cow, they've convinced themselves. Then because of this process, AJ, now they invest more often and they invest more money because I didn't sell my friends. I didn't pitch my family. I just approached them and basically like asking for referrals, if you will. And they're like, hey, dude, what about me? Like, I'm interested in this. Of this approach because you're allowing them an opportunity to get involved without ever pushing it on them. I'm not, you're not placing a sell and you're not putting that guilt. Like, I got to tell you, I, I just, I dislike, and most people dislike MLMs because somebody comes to you and says, I want you to invite your friends over and I want to sell you and then have your friends be sold to me. And it's such a hard sell. And you're like, whoa, back off, right? That's not how this stuff is, right? Private investing, investing in real estate opportunity stuff. It's not an MLM. And two, you obviously don't approach it like that. And I love this idea where it's organic and it should be. It should be organic where people, you, you're setting up a situation that becomes an organic conversation that they have the ability to insert them in. And if they don't, you don't even need to ask, you know, like you don't need to bring it up. Another way too, that I talk about it, like, or that I think about when you're looking for money, when somebody asks you, Hey, what are you up to? And you say, nothing, same old, and you got five deals that you're trying to fund, that's on you. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, like if, but if somebody said, Hey, what have you been up to lately? Be like, geez, I've got all these deals. You know, they're just incredible deals. We're looking at getting investors and fund them and stuff. It's been crazy. I mean, awesome opportunity, but crazy. You're not asking them for anything. You're not telling them anything. You're inserting. And if they say, Oh really? What kind of deals? Oh, well, yeah. I've got this one deal. This is this, this and this, you know, I'm trying to raise money. How much money are you trying to raise? Oh, right. well, 200,000. Why are you interested? It's them asking, right? You're setting up a situation that creates an organic conversation without ever putting a hard sell, without ever, you know, and, and two, I do not believe in hard sells at all because they just yeah. don't work. And two, with the investment game, like you said, they come back and back and back. Most of your guys that present money, you want these guys to keep investing in you. No doubt, AJ. And you know what? Creating cash flow 
is not something you do overnight. You buy an asset, it cash flows. You buy another asset, it cash flows. You buy another apartment building, it cash flows. Now we own 2,600 units of apartments and we have this private equity fund. It didn't, that all didn't happen on day one. But so you also got to convince yourself that I'm going to take, I'm going to play the long game here. Like I'm going to stack income streams on top of income streams on top of income streams. And that might not all happen on day one or even in year one or even in year two or year three, but you can get free pretty quickly. Okay. Like for example, I did an analysis of all of our apartments. On average, we make a net free cash flow after all expenses and all debt service, we make $1,257 per year per door. So I know exactly every time I add a door, doesn't matter if it's an apartment, single family, I know I've just added $1,257 to my future income for the rest of my life. It's never going to get any smaller. The incomes are only going to go up. The spreads are only going to go up. The rents are only going to go up. And the profit's only going to go up. The equity's only going to go up. And I'm going to be able to depreciate the asset. So the question becomes, how many doors, how many units do I need to get to to replace my income? That's the first step. Then to just stack. Because everybody wants to be free of their job. So what's the number? So right now, take whatever your job is, whatever your lifestyle is. Divide that by 1,257 and find out how many doors or how many units do you need to accumulate to replace your income. That should be the number one thing you think about. Now, if you have to wholesale some properties in the meantime, great. Wholesale some apartments in the meantime, great, to create some current income. But that's where you laser focus. 99% of your time should be creating assets, creating cash flow. And then it's about, hey, when we buy a property, stabilize it, rent it out, refinance it, we return all, all, most or all of our investors' equity back to them. And they're continuing to own an equity piece in our deal for the rest of their life in perpetuity. I know the stock market could never offer that. So now we're in a situation where our investors, friends, family, they're stacking income streams on top of income streams on top of income streams. I'm helping them achieve their financial goals. So now, again, I have a moral obligation to present this to people now, I'm not selling them. I'm not pitching them. It's all up here. And I'm bringing my friends up. The tide rises all ships. We're all getting wealthier. We're all creating more cash flow. And because I understand the securities laws and know how to structure apartment deals and rental portfolios, I'm able to accumulate this for myself and my partners, but also our passive investors. I become like the golden child where everybody wants to do business with us because they're all looking at these income streams for themselves. Right. That's the mindset. That's where you got to be spending your time. And how can you recruit more capital? How can you know, we can do a whole nother podcast some other time, AJ, on the actual technical way that I work with investors, the logistics of presenting to them and creating content and getting them to close. That's a whole nother, you know, probably for another day. But it really starts with that whole mindset of where I want to go and creating these residual income streams. That's goal number one. Replace your income. Well, and the Separate stacking. Your- the stacking. Stack I love, I, I love that analogy. So AJ, it's all about stacking these income streams on top of one another, deal after deal after deal, replacing your income stream first. That's goal number one. Then you're free to look at any deal you want, anytime you want, because you've got enough income to pay the bills. Then it's just about stacking, 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 really for the rest of your life to get as big as you possibly want to. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's, you know, I I think the stacking analogy for people, you need to understand the reason I like it so much is you can start small. So a lot of people, when you look at your income and you say, geez, I'm looking at an investment property, it's going to pay me 200 bucks a month. That doesn't hardly do anything. You're like, yes, but it's the start. So $200 a month may not do a whole lot, but if you get 20 of those, what does that now mean to you? And then that's where it comes on. But it's all about that stacking, right? And then, two, the great thing about stacking is by the time you get to 10, the first one isn't 200 bucks a month anymore. It's 350 right? That's and right. so it, it, the stacking becomes compounding. And then what you can do and what you can achieve when you stack is infinite, right? But the individual investment to people, at first, lots of times it may not look – you're like, that's a lot of work to get such little – you know, returning. That's how it always was with me at first. And I, you, I missed the big picture. It's like, I wanted it now, but you're like, no, 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 no. Calm down, get one, 
then stack 15 and see what happens. So, right. you know, in five years, what you can achieve by stacking will really blow people's minds. That's right. And once you own it, you never have to give it up. You're in total control forever. And would you hustle your face off for the next two to five years to do that or work 30 years and then again, live on 40% of what you were previously making? It's, it, you know, it's not even a comparison. It's not, not even. even. I, I'm, I'm blown away by how many people don't take this more seriously because they're so worried about the now. They're so worried about paying the mortgage today. They're so worried about the kids' education today, their retirement today, and just being kind of part of the norm, part of the herd, that people don't break away sooner to do this for themselves. Because, like, I'll give you an example. I, I, I'm going to be talking to my friend Jack here uh, as soon as we're done with this podcast. And Jack and I own a 164-unit um, apartment building together, $10 million deal. When we're done with it, it's going to be worth about $14.5 million. We'll refinance it. Um, but when I met Jack, Jack was a firefighter. He was exchanging time for money. Um, he, was, he had about 15 rentals, you know, a lot of like very inexpensive rentals, kind of in like a C-class market because that's all he could afford. I taught Jack how to raise and recruit his own private money. Uh, Jack now has almost 1,000 doors. Um, Jack is, once all these deals that he's got are, are completely stabilized, because some of them he's in the middle of stabilization, he's going to be producing about $800,000 a year of net free cash flow after all expenses and all debt service. And Jack's raised about $6.5 million of private money. Jack had no experience before in financial matters. He was a firefighter. He, you know, had no no real real estate experience other than owning some, you know, 15 tiny, you know, kind of very inexpensive low-income rental properties. And within about three or four years, Jack has stacked up where he's got true financial freedom. True financial freedom coming from almost nothing. And then we got story after story after story yeah. like that. So yeah. any, and Jack anybody can do it. If he can do it, anybody no, can do it. It, it yeah. is. Be patient and, you know, play the long game. For I, sure. I think really, too, people got to understand is the patience, the discipline and creating a system. That's what you need. It's yeah. it, the, uh, the other stuff. It's like, well, in order to get a, you know, $50 million portfolio, I need tens of millions. No, that's not true. That's not how it works. If you can right. do one deal, you can do a thousand and if you can do one deal with one door, like you talk about these inexpensive homes, and I'm, I, I tell people, if you can buy a $100,000 duplex and cash flow, then you understand and you can stack and you know everything you need to do to know to get 200-door apartment building. That's right. You just right. need to start stacking and moving up. And the only difference for most people, the reason they don't and can't, is they don't know where to go get the extra money to expand. It's just one more tool in your bag. Offering... To pri uh, offering private investments to individuals, friends, families, as well as others, is just one more tool in understanding how to buy a simple little property, right? That's right. The cash flows. That's it. It's just and one more little part. People along for the ride. You know, one of the things I'm so proud about for Jack and for our investors is those people have come along for the ride. You know, and we have you know friends or family, colleagues, parents, you know, friends and family of friends and family who they were you know getting one, 2% return on their investments. Now they're getting eight, 10, 12% returns. And in a lot of cases, equity and cash flow in perpetuity with no money left in the deal. And they're like, oh my God, you saved my retirement. Oh my God, you've, you've you allowed me to live a more abundant life. Oh my God, you know, I was getting 2% return. Now I'm getting 10. I have, you know, I five X my retirement income just because I know you. Yeah. That's what's fun about this business. Yeah. Like the deals are great. The stacking for yourself is great. Yeah. But when you're compounding this and bringing people with you, now you're talking about, God, what an honor, what a privilege, how much fun to have an impact on other people's lives. It's, it's not about, oh my God, I'm, I'm selling my friends and family. Yeah. It's a very immature yes. approach. Yes, it is. Well, it, very, it too, I think it's so funny. If you ask somebody, if you won the lottery, what would you do? Oh, I'd buy my parents a house. And I'm like, what if you found an investment property that would pay for the mortgage? Right? Yeah. Like, what, what, do they, what do they owe on that? What do they, they pay $700 a month. What if you could take their money, find an investment property that would then pay them cash flow $700 a month so they would never have to worry about their house payment again in their entire life? It's the same thing. And you're, right. you're like, you can offer that. And could you imagine how much joy would that bring you to say, hey, mom and dad, 
listen, I don't have the hundreds of thousands of dollars to give to you to pay off your home or whatever it may be. But just as good as it, I have an opportunity for you that will pay for your home and you'll never have to worry about it again. Sure. Um, I, I just, that's got to bring such pride to you to think about doing that for your parents, your loved ones, or whoever it is. And this is a way that can do it and it's life changing. So you got to think about it. You're right. You got to think about it in those terms um, as opposed to that more of an immature, I'm, I don't want to sell people. Right. That's right. It's not an MLS. We're not talking about that, right? This is this is opportunities to have cash flowing investments or um, participate in the economic growth of the nation. This is, you know, these are good deals, and that's what wealth is created through private investment transactions, off market, or and what, not even off market deals, but deals that it's not like you're just going to find or they're going to buy a house. People generally don't have the opportunity because they're not going to do the work. They're not going to find it. But if you can find that one property and stack, you can offer that to so many people, which is amazing and life-changing. That's right. That's right. Hey, this has just been incredible. I appreciate it so much. But before we jump off here, tell tell, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can learn more about raising capital. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Our main website is freelandventures.com. If they go to freelandventures.com, they'll see uh, all the things that we do are, you know, they can get a free copy of my book. Uh, it's called The Flip System. A lot of the strategies that we talked about on this podcast is in there. They get a free copy of the book, just pay the shipping and handling. Uh, also, a lot of different stuff, some case studies about our different apartments, you know, our own podcast, coaching program, all that kind of stuff. Go to freelandventures.com and they'll see everything there. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, And we'll have you back on in another podcast to talk more in depth about actually uh, bringing that money in. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. This was awesome. Awesome, AJ. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.